your own fun fact, where the facts are factual, unless they were Alan's fact last month. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to that. Fun fact. In early 20th century New York, if a man wore a straw hat in the street after September 15th, it was considered acceptable for strangers to steal the hat from him and destroy it. Really? <laughs> yes, I've done I've done more research for this. I've gotten a little fast and loose in, in recent episodes with some of the exact details of the facts. I've I've got some sources that include like the New York Times. Okay. And some other, you know, it's not it's not just uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not, which also has an article on this. Okay, it was it was considered acceptable if if I so if I if it's September sixteenth, what year did this end? Uh, it's the early twentieth century. This ended okay. in roughly the twenties. Okay, so it's nineteen oh nine. Yeah, it's September sixteenth. Mm-hmm. I'm in and, New York City only. Yeah, and well, and, and the general and the, like. Kinda, okay, I'm in the greater New York metropolitan area. Yeah. And I'm wearing a straw striped hat. It doesn't have to be striped. It was made out of straw. So, for example, like one of the barbershop quartets. Yeah, I look like I've just come from my barbershop quartet, which is not a pastiche or trendy at that point. No, it really just is a thing. That's just your hobby. Just the only music that they have. So I'm, that's not true. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just, please, please don't write me. But I, I just. We, We're setting I'm the wearing, scene. Yeah, I'm wearing my straw hat. It's September 16th. I'm in the greater New York metropolitan area. You, Alan Ruffian Pike, uh-huh. walking down the street heading towards me, you steal the hat off my head and you destroy it in front of me. You just stomp on it. Just, it's just, just stomp on it. Yeah. That's considered acceptable behavior. That's like, well, that's what do you expect? I mean, I was wearing it on the 16th. How did I not? It's like 12.01. I'm coming back from a late night. I'm at like an all night gig. <laughs> it's 12.01 a.m. You're looking at your old timey wristwatch, which is not old timey. It's current timey. Yeah. And, and you're looking at the current time on your current timey wristwatch. It says 12.01. And there's no way for me to fact check that against an atomic clock because they don't exist. And yeah. so you run up to me. And you're walking you sh- faster, hoping yeah. that you don't get caught. Right. But because I know, I know it's, I would have taken, I wouldn't have worn it the next day. I would have just like left it at home for months and months and months. Mm. I'm curious how many months at some point, but because past September 15th till when, but like I take it off, I'm wearing it. Maybe I'm even just holding it because I know shamedly, mm-hmm. but you see me, you show me your watch as you run towards me and uh, uh, uh. grab the hat and just smash it. Yeah. And everybody's like, and I like, well, what are you going to do? It's so, September 16th. <laughs> um, I, I did a little bit of digging into this. I would hope. Because I had a lot of questions <laughs> as you, you did. And, and where I started with like, why, like, regard ignoring exactly September 15th or the destroying part, but, like, why would anyone think you shouldn't be wearing a straw hat at any particular time? Right. Why did straw hats have a... Because, like, you know, that maybe, like, you're not supposed to wear white at certain times of the year, according to some people. And then in other cultures, like mine, you are supposed to wear white at certain times of the yeah, year. So, so the, the wearing white is kind of related. Oh, so the, great. So they both come from this idea that there's fashion, uh, there's apparel that's appropriate for the hot times of year and apparel that's appropriate for the cool times of year. Okay. And so if it's hot and you're wearing white, maybe it reflects the, the heat. Uh, so maybe it's good for the, the summer. And then... Uh, right. But that's... I don't understand why that's your business to decide that I'm too hot. But okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> This is this is that is this kind of a side thing that we'll follow yeah. to. But starting with the idea of like where did the fashioned uh, idea yeah. okay. come from? So, that, so this, there you go. Yeah. Straw hats, and you, you can if you want to read like 
relevant to today interpretations of this, you can actually read a lot about the etiquette and the um, like approaches to wearing cowboy hats, which are some of the okay. like more commonly actually still worn today hats by men that people maybe pay attention to the fashion of. And so yeah. the idea is, and this was true back then, is that a straw hat is good for the sun and the heat, okay. but it doesn't really resist the rain very well right. and it doesn't no, really keep your head totally. warm um but it's good f- for keeping the sun off like if you mentioned like a sombrero or something right? sure yeah yeah, yeah. If I, I i pictured like i'm at the track oh yeah got my straw hat on betting on some horses and you have like a little ticket in the brim of the hat like, i do yeah. Round, yeah maybe i'm pressed the press ticket is in the hat as well yeah exactly said yeah, yeah. Okay. um and so the idea was that if you're fashionable and you're paying attention to your clothing and you're wearing appropriate clothing, then you would tend towards a straw hat when it's hot out and a felt hat when it's uh, cold. Okay. Yeah. So far, I mean, whatever. Fine. Great. Sure. Yeah. And for today, for a cowboy hats, that's still the practice. Like if, even if today, if you're in like a cowboy hat savvy area, which is not the places that either of us live, <laughs> but if you were in a cowboy hat savvy area yeah. and it was wintertime and you came in with a straw cowboy hat or if it was the middle of the summer and you came in with a felt cowboy hat it would be people would would, think you were weird the people would give each other a look and they'd be like this this is a tourist okay or like somebody who's not actually wearing a cowboy hat for its proper you know yeah look at this yokel not knowing how to wear the hat yeah city folk or whatever right yeah Uh, yeah. so it came to be common like fashion uh sense slash etiquette that around this time that was starting to get cool which for what for reasons that as far as i have not been able to come up with exactly where the 15th of september came from like why that's very arbitrary it seems more like labor day which is sort of like the spiritual end of summer or the 21st um which is like the actual literal uh equinox end of uh summer yeah why not yeah but for reasons that are not particularly important september 15th became the commonly accepted okay this is the day that you switch over to having your uh, fell hat. September 15th is the earliest day on which Father's Day can fall. Oh, maybe, maybe that's, that's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But it became kind of a jokey game that if someone either forgot or they were just not paying attention to the rules or they were a rube or whatever, uh, then you could, uh, your friends might like take your hat and like muss it up or maybe they would stand on it or whatever. Like, sure. Yeah. Your friends would be like, hey, I'm to your, you know, I'm going to help you I'm just you helping out. you here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to. Or just razzing you. Razzing you. Which I don't know if that that was the the phrase at the time. Totally. Um, But it started to become a game for like street kids and urchins and just teenagers that wear when it would be on the 15th that uh, they would go out and they would try to find people who are wearing the straw hats still and they would harass them or try to grab them. On the 15th? On the 15th. So I didn't even need to. So I needed to be on the. My story needed to be on the night of the 14th. Yeah, you're already a day late. You're just doomed. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah, on the 16th. What a faux pas. And so, as you can imagine, this started to cause some friction in between yeah. the kids that were having fun and the people who didn't want to have to buy a new hat. Every yeah, year. whose hats were not cheap. I mean, a good hat is... I imagine. They probably... I don't know if they were handmade still at that time, but... Yeah, um, I don't know. And, and so, by 1910, the Pittsburgh Press, Pittsburgh not being in the New York metropolitan no. area, but in the general part of the world, um, wrote... It is all right for stockbrokers on the exchanges to destroy one another's hats if they like, on the principle that everything goes among friends, but no man likes to have his hat snatched from his head by somebody he has not yet been introduced to. So only stockbrokers can do this? I don't know if this was, maybe that's where it started, or if that was just an example of like, sort of uh, bro-y sort of guys that might do that at the time. Very weird choice. Like, if you're a stockbroker, cool. You don't even, even, we don't even need to be talking to you. If you're not... Uh, you don't want your hat destroyed. 
I mean, just walking around the street, kids grab it. You can imagine there's certainly comes from friction, but right, that but was, no one wants the street kids. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one wants the street kids <laughs> taking anything from them, no. but it was, it was sort of tolerated like, ah, boys will be boys or just like, Hey, get off my lawn. But like, not like, Hey, call the police. This person, these kids are vandalizing and destroying my property. Yeah. Property has been destroyed. Yeah. So, but that was the tradition, um, that that happened. Or so it was until the Straw Hat Riot of 1922. No. Hold on. Yes. What? Yes. This was a thing. 1922. Uh, and, and it was so far-fetched that I was like, I'm going to do a little more research on yeah. this than I normally do. Were ancient aliens involved? The New York Times, uh, September 16th, 1922. There's still a live, or not still, but there's a web link that you can visit that will like has an excerpt of this. Uh-huh. Uh, headline city has wild night of straw hat riots gangs of young hoodlums with spiked sticks terrorize whole blocks victims run the gauntlet youths line car tracks and snatch mob of 1000 dispersed on amsterdam avenue what <laughs> it was a, like a like a legit like it was you know riots range you know yeah. It had been a yearly thing where it was getting kind of more angsty with a little bit more backlash in between the snatchers and the snatchies. Snatchers um, and the snatchies. I think that's grammatically correct. I guess the yeah. snatchies would be the hats. Yeah, the, the <laughs> snatchies would be the hats. Yeah. The hats didn't seem to buy, but but apparently in 1922, the kids there caused two problems. One, or like kind of amp things up in two ways. One problem was they started snatching the hats on September 13th, two days early. What? No, you can't do that. It's still completely fashionable at that it was point. Still, it was extremely fashionable for two yeah. more days. And so that was apparently frustrating to the hat wearers. Yeah. Um, and I'm they started now. Yeah, right? Uh, indignant. Uh, yeah. And then also um, the kids started banding together in like larger and larger groups and mm-hmm. arming themselves with sticks with nails driven through them. What? To, to like, I guess, be like, give me your hat or else. I, I or else, know. yeah. And so it was causing a lot of angst and there's police were involved and there was brawls and people trying to keep their hats and the kids trying to like mob people to get the hats. And so after a couple of days of basically hat riots, a show of 1000 pro hat demonstrators gathered on Amsterdam Avenue to to show we won't take it anymore. We're going to wear our straw hats, whether you like it or not. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, apparently that was like the the kind of peak of it, of it all, as captured in the New York Times, nineteen twenty two. What the hell? <laughs> it was uh, it was said that that was the kind of the peak of the fad, and then police crackdowns. The fad, not of straw hats necessarily, but of of trying to destroy them on the fifth the fifteenth, and then you know police started to kind of decide, all right, this has gotten a little out of hand. Yeah, and uh, I would and then agree also with fascist that. standards kind of relaxed a little bit in terms of. Uh, <laughs> The acceptable behavior of somebody who's wearing a I mean, straw I think hat. It's, it's worth remembering that uh, that in this era that we're talking about, every grown man, essentially, and at least in the United States, wore a hat. Yeah, it was assumed you'd wear a hat. You were always wearing a hat. Like that lasted until like JFK, hmm. right? Like I think that's when it was. Like maybe I'm wrong, but I, I feel like there was some president. I think it was JFK who didn't wear a hat, and then men were like. I'm going to stop wearing hats. But like, I've, I've also heard that an, um, in one affecting sort of input to the decrease in hat wearing was that uh, the private automobile, as opposed to, uh, you know, walking to and or uh, taking public transit, like trains and stuff like that, where there's a lower roof and you're in there by yourself. I've heard that that I don't know how true that is, but I've heard that that contributed to the decreased interest in wearing a hat where you, maybe you're going to have to take the hat off if you're going in the car anyway. Huh. 
Uh, what I'm seeing is that JF Kennedy didn't wear one to his inauguration hmm. and he made it uncool. Yeah. Yeah. To wear hats. I think that, uh, barbershop quartet hats were probably out of fashion already by then. Yeah, I'm sure they were. Yeah. But like, man, the hat. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I really enjoyed about this fact was that it was ridiculous even before there was a straw hat riot. True. Yeah. How did you discover this fact? It came through me becoming aware of the straw hat riot and yeah. then go working backwards to then just even being amazed that there was even a tradition of destroying hats, let alone a whole riot about it. Yeah. You need yeah. to have a tradition in order for the riot to happen. Yeah, so we'll link up the New York Times article, yeah. uh, which apparently is just a partial excerpt, but uh, it's just kind of fun. I just picture these 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 hoodlums, these these uh, or maybe not, the ne'er do wells with their with their sticks with with like nails in it. Yeah, I mean, it started to become not when it was kids. You imagine yeah. like a nine year old urchins being yeah, like, "Yeah, I picture your hat, got your hat." You're young, like, yeah, artful yeah. dodger types, you know. Yeah, but then eventually it becomes too much. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, doing it early. Yeah, that's just being... It's just no good. Wow. All right. Well, that 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 took a turn. Uh, I guess I'll also include... I'll send you this photo. Oh, please. Um, I love when you send me photos. It's hard. There you go. Oh, there it is. Look at what? them hats. Whoa, that's a lot of straw hats. That's a lot of straw hats. It's a show of force. Yeah. We'll not be intimidated. This... We'll not be stick with nailed. So this photo is is of the riot. I believe this is the one thousand straw hat a, wearing men. It's, it's a very uh, subdued riot. I mean, I don't think that that was the riotous part. I think that was sort of the counter demonstration. I see, I'm not getting a little okay. bit outside of my. No, yeah, we should be careful here. We got to be careful. Yeah, but uh, we've been led to ruin in the recent <laughs> past. <laughs> but I do know that there was a straw hat riot in 1922 because yeah. there was a tradition of yeah destroying hats. Yeah, so watch out there. One of you boater wears. Don't wear your straw hats. We'll come back to when you wear certain things corner at some point. So Oh, okay. That's a good corner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. So I'm looking at my now timey timepiece. I think it might be time for your fact. <laughs> my fact does not have to do with straw hats. That's weird though. Didn't we agree? An all straw hat related show? We had said that and then I just couldn't I couldn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> you tried, but only three of your four facts are straw hat related. Right, that's right, uh, Alan. I'm you are probably completely unaware of this, hmm. but there's a there's an election coming up in this country. Oh, okay, okay. I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it's I didn't a minor. Know. Is minor that deal? A, is that like a federal thing or? A... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's federal, not one of those local ones. It's a full on the the big full four years every four okay. years election. Yeah, well, you know, I'm sure it's very like kind of boring you yeah know, just Fair. you know the same old people again yeah. you know running our roughs <laughs> yeah. again and no yeah no know. no drama no yeah. it's not a constant soul destroying event no hmm. but uh i thought given the the fact that this will be our last episode prior to that election that i would mm-hmm. do in a, an election related fact okay okay uh first time in a while returning to election corner yeah we have had some election facts we have not recently i don't think so fun fact as bad as the electoral college is, things could have been worse. <laughs> I don't know. Electoral college is pretty bad. Yeah. So let's start with that. For those of you who are not from the United States or have somehow blessedly be, remained ignorant of how we do our elections here, what is the electoral college? Not an easy word to say, as you just heard from Mr. Pike. <laughs> so, so in the United States... Citizens don't vote in one national election for the president and vice president. 
citizens do not elect the president. And well, we do, but not directly. Yeah, we we, we vote for them indirectly, and but also not in one election. Instead, we vote in 51 individual elections, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which comprise the 50 states and Washington, D.C. And what we're actually voting for is a slate of electors, not the candidates whose names are listed on the ballots. And those electors will probably vote for that candidate. Well, yeah. So it, in 43 of these elections, the actual electors' names are not listed at all on the ballot. But in, four, in eight states, they are actually listed next to the candidate. Hmm. And in all but two states, the electors are chosen by which candidate receives the plurality of votes. So essentially, electors have been uh, assigned to each candidate, and whichever candidate wins the most votes in your state, the plurality, those are the electors that are going to be chosen, except for Maine and Nebraska, where two of the electors are assigned based on plurality, and the others are allocated based on the plurality of votes in each congressional district. But for the most part, whatever... A uh, candidate gets the most votes in a given state. All of the votes for that entire state go to that candidate. Go to that candidate through these electors. The electors are the people who actually vote for president. And as of 2020, there are 538 electors, and a candidate needs a minimum of 270 of them to win the election. Right. In general, as you said, electors vote for the candidate from the party that they belong to, that they've been nominated by. However, there have been what are called faithless electors in the past. And that's when an elector votes for whoever they want and not who they were supposed to vote for. And currently, only 33 states and D.C. have laws against this. Are, they any, are there any like large states that allow it? Uh, there, I have a list of which states allow it and which states don't that we will go in the show notes. Okay. But there are definitely states that you would consider, shall we say, large-ish that do that, that do allow it. I don't know if they're they're not like it's not like California, hmm, okay. but but Texas, for example, which is a very large state, polit, uh, uh, congr- uh, election wise, does not have any law against uh, faithless electors. But you can see how that would kind of go into the you can't tell me what to do. To- totally. So so far in American history, this faithless elector issue has never determined the presidency, but it has influenced the vice presidency twice. And one time in 1796, it actually did change who was elected vice president. Oh, wow. I didn't realize they were cast separately. Well, so, yeah, they they are cast separately. And we'll actually, we're going to talk about why and what that is. But first, I have a little sub-fun fact for you. Okay. Electors legally have to vote for at least one candidate that is not from the same state as they are from. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and that, that, that's because... <laughs> okay. That's because there was some fear that there would be like two favorite sons from the state that would get the votes. So everybody would only just vote for the candidate from their own state. Right, but idea. this means in practical terms that you will almost... Basically never will you see a presidential candidate and VP candidate that are from the same state because that would make it impossible for them to win that state. Because you wouldn't, the electors wouldn't be able to vote for both of them. That's right. Which means that, which, which is how that works. So this came into play in the 2000 election. You're just getting into whole other dumb things. When you say the electoral college is dumb, you're just like way off in a whole side area of totally novel, dumb things about it that aren't even like the dumb things. I already knew. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're not, we're not close to done here either. Okay. Okay. In the 2000 election, this actually was an issue. Because George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were both Texas residents. Oh, okay. But Cheney managed to, very late in the election cycle, I guess he realized this, and managed to change his registration to Wyoming, where he had a vacation home. Okay. Had he not done that, Al Gore would have easily won the presidency, as Bush-Cheney could not have won the the 32 votes from Texas that they won. 
Well, wouldn't they have? Wouldn't they have those electors voted for Bush, but then a different vice presidential nominee? So it would have been George Bush and then not Cheney as the vice president. I don't think you can actually do that anymore. You used to be able to do that, but I don't believe that that you could like have a split ticket. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe you can do that, and certainly it would not be desirable. But we will be talking about split tickets. So the history of this is for me fascinating. So, and I mean, you're, I'm sure you're not shocked. So, <laughs> uh, originally, people did not vote for the candidates at all, or even the electors. They didn't vote for the candidates or the electors. Right, the electors were originally chosen by the legislatures. Okay. And this was because the framers thought that the average person would not have the time or the access, especially in rural places without you know easy access to information, to make a quality choice. When you say the legislatures, you mean the state legislatures. The state legislatures voted for, chose who the electors were. And then those people made any vote they wanted to for president. And so the initially in the early days, the idea was that the state legislatures, so like the Wyoming Senate or bad example in the early days, but like the Virginia Senate would uh, pick uh, some people that they thought would go and do good research about who should be president. Yeah, they just thought they would be good people to vote. Yeah. And then hopefully they agree with the legislature. Yeah, yeah for sure. And in 1824, so... You know, the first election is, what, 1792? By 1824, there were still six states in which electors were appointed. There was a popular vote, by the way, prior to that. It just didn't matter for anything. <laughs> it was entirely just like a poll. It like, yeah, it basically. Okay. So by 1832, it was just South Carolina. And in 1880, they switched as well. So since 1880, we have voted indirectly for president. Directly indirectly, you might say. Yeah, for, you choose a president and then there's somebody who has claimed that they will then go on your behalf and vote for that president. Right. But initially, as you yourself noted, the electors didn't vote for a combined president and VP because political parties didn't exist yet when they designed the system. Didn't exist in the 18... Oh, in the... Yeah, yeah, in the very, very beginning. And instead, electors got two votes and they could vote for any candidate with either. And after voting, whoever got the most votes would be president and whoever got the second most votes would be the vice president. Which, like... It's, it's kind of the, the idea of a world where that would work is, is appealing. It is if you have no parties. But yes. practically speaking, this immediately meant that sometimes the president and VP would be from opposing parties. Yes. Which is what happened with John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, who then had an immense amount of trouble working together as they disagreed on basically everything. Right. And so when Thomas Jefferson was elected, he changed that rule. Well, no. No? (laughs) Not quite. So it also meant that there would often be no clear majority, in which case Congress would decide the presidency. Oh, interesting. Which happened twice. (laughs) And the the first time it happened was in 1800. Okay. So in 1800, the Democratic-Republican Party nominated Jefferson for president and Aaron Burr for vice president. Right. After voting, both were tied in electoral college votes. Oh, okay. Since the ballots did not actually have a distinction between president and VP, every vote cast for Burr was technically also a vote for him to be president. Oh, But the party wanted Jefferson to be the president. Right. So this left the election to be decided by Congress. Okay? (sighs) The the Federalists, who have now lost the election, attempted to embarrass the Democratic Republicans by electing Burr instead of Jefferson. <laughs> like, tr- like kind of troll electing by trying yeah. to, yeah, okay. Like, oh, you want this guy to be the president? Well, we'll make this guy the president. Yeah, because the idea here was that the electors would, like, be smart and, like, vote one more elector would vote for 
Jefferson than Burr, but mm. no one knew who the person who was supposed to do that was. And to make sure they didn't do it wrong, nobody did it. And so they ended up tied. So the, the House deadlocked for 35 ballots. Oh, my God. And only on the 36th did one of the Federalists finally vote for Jefferson for fear, literal, literally for fear that the Union would be endangered. Because, like, unity would be corrupted Yeah, there by would be no way for the country this, to continue. We just don't even have a leader and we can't agree on one. Yeah. yeah. So the follow-up from that is that in 1804, the 12th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution was passed, which required that electors cast one vote for president, one for vice president. The number of, like, bugs that were, like, worked <laughs> out in the system during production. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... What, but I said that there could be worse, right? So what was the worst alternative? So when the Congressional Congress was originally discussing how any of this was going to happen, there was not going to be any popular vote. Okay. There weren't going to be electors. There wasn't going to be anything. Congress was just going to pick the president. Well, I mean, that's what we do in Canada, kind of. Is that true? I guess kind of. It's the leader of the party. party yeah, it's the leader of the party with the... Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's not exactly the leader of the party with the most seats, but basically... The leader of the party with the most seats in practice a gets issue. a chance yeah. to, yeah, if they have a majority, then they right. they will in practice be the prime minister. And if there's a minority, then you basically figure out what can more than 50% of the uh, elected people agree on who's going to be the leader for the time being. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth noting that at the time they were doing this, no country on earth directly ex- elected chief executive. Actually, just let's pause for a second. Are you is your thing of it could have been worse would be that Congress picks a leader because like I I'm, I don't want to get super like into U.S. politics and taking stands <laughs> on this, but I feel like if Congress picked a leader, there might have been some things that went differently in the last four years that would have been maybe slightly less bad than some. Of the well, things that you say that, and yet you know they didn't like letting Congress do it was initially supported by most of the states during the debate for this. Uh huh. But as they discussed it, they all agreed that that would both violate separation of powers and create too much incentive for corruption and collusion between the executive and legislative branches. Yeah, you don't have that same separation of power. Like the United States system has these three branches of government, uh, whereas in Canada, I don't think of there as being that separation in between legislation and executive. It's it's like kind of the judiciary and then right because the legislative the legislator comes directly from the legis the executive comes directly from the legislator right like yeah. they are yeah. an mp who is party is now in power yeah and the ministers like the people who run the various departments which you call like the secretary of labor or whatever right. would be like the minister of labor uh and they would be an elected mp who is considered to be uh competent to when run you that when justin trudeau becomes prime minister in canada does someone else replace him as mp for some district or is he still the mp for that district he's still the mp for that district and that oh. causes like there are expectations of trying to be neutral and not overly favor that district and the, in justin trudeau in particular has had and in this happens has happened with previous prime ministers but he's had particular scandal and ethics uh investigation of like was he unduly trying to support a project that would bring jobs to his uh constituents right, in his right, writing right, right, right. um typically the the leader of the party though is a, in a pretty safe riding like normally they're not like on the edge of getting reelected or not um so that's not normally a huge you gotta concern. tell people what a riding is because that is a term that does not exist outside of canada oh what do you i lost the american term district for, district yeah like yeah. in their in their poll on right. the poll when they right. get reelected in the people their they their region that they represent right so anyway during the debates about this they didn't want congress to do it for that reason but they also didn't want a popular vote and that was partially due to the uninformed citizenry is citizenry 
I can see how that would have been really bad back when the citizenry was unformed and maybe would make bad choices. <laughs> well, but they didn't even have access to the information okay, yeah. back then. Uh-huh. But they also worried, and this one I find even funnier, in a incredibly not ha-ha funny way, <laughs> but also because they worried that a populist leader could appeal directly to the people and thereby wield too much power. Mm, that would be terrible. That would be absolutely awful, yeah. They were afraid of kings and they wanted a relatively weak executive, which is why they're separate unlike in, you know, Canadian or other parliamentary systems. So they compromised and they decided that the, on this electoral college idea, but electoral college vo- votes are determined by population, mm-hmm. right? But that caused other problems they needed to solve. Which is this idea that like a small state wouldn't want to join the union if they thought they were just going to get overridden. Right. So there were the two, the, the, there were two big, big issues. There are a lot of small issues. There are two big issues. One is the disparity in states populations, which you just mentioned. And the other was what to do about slavery. Well, yeah, that's not the first time or last time that was a question. In, indeed. So for the, the small states, big states, they relied on what's called the Connecticut compromise, which is the same thing we use for congressional representation, which basically says that there's a floor that you hit. So the smallest states have in practice a larger amount of influence than their population would demand if you were doing it uh, fairly. Even in the Electoral College? Even in the Electoral College. So, in fact, what that means is that if you live in a sparsely populated state, your vote is worth more than someone mm-hmm. who lives in a in a uh, densely populated state because th- there is a floor of how many Electoral College votes you can have of, I think, two, and it, it would be one for those if you did it uh, a- as an actual mathematical average. So your vote is worth one point whatever votes compared to someone who lives in california if you live in vermont for example right so and the the second issue was slavery the population of the southern states at the time included many people who were not free and therefore could not vote or have any agency ignoring of course that women could not vote and a lot of other people couldn't vote and the usa has never been good at voting rights but what they settled on for the slavery issue which is the same one that they again they settled on for congressional and other uh, causes was that was what's called the three-fifths compromise whereby for the purposes of the census, which determined the population, which determined the representation, each slave would be counted as three-fifths of a person. I hate that in many ways. It's so upsetting, like on a deep and to be emotional clear, level. They, they would count as three-fifths of a person towards the electoral, uh, like the electoral weight of the white people's votes. Correct. Yes. And in fact, it led to the South getting more representation than they would have had if they had only counted free and white people and helped prop up the institution of slavery. Right. Because you'd think somebody who was like someone in the North who was like advocating for potentially the the rights of the slaves would say, well, the slaves should fully count as 100 percent of a person. But because the, they didn't have voting rights, then they would have just been giving more power to the white people that were running those states. To the people who were enslaving them. Their enslavers were were potentially getting were they were getting three fifths of a voting right for every person that they were holding as slaves. And I assume they were outnumbered at that time. I believe that is definitely correct. Uh, well, I believe that is correct. I am not definite about it. But the contentious eighteen hundred election we mentioned, the one that caused the twelfth amendment to be passed, would first would likely not have been won by Jefferson at all, except that slave states had more power in Congress than they should have had. Right, because of this extra, yeah. Yeah. Even then, as we said, the system doesn't always match the popular vote with the electoral college vote, even with everyone, no faithless electors. There have been four elections in American history where in 1876, 1888, 2000 and 2016, where the person who won the most votes did not win the presidency. And that's because of this thing where 
most states give all of their uh, electoral weight to the person who has the majority of right. Votes, so even though California has most more people, uh, you only they only has fifty five electoral votes. So even though that there might be, and no matter how much the disparity is between the two candidates, even if the one candidate wins by eighty percent to twenty percent, they only get those fifty five votes. So if you look at the country as a whole, more people can vote for the loser than voted for the winner. And that's how you have, as of the recording today, um, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Wisconsin will make up 56% of the decision of the 2020 election. Yeah, yeah. So in in so one of the reasons that they wanted to do this this way was to protect the idea that small states would, other, would otherwise be ignored. But what's ended up happening is that both small states and large states are ignored and candidates spend essentially all of their time in a very, very small number of places that are considered to be what are called swing states. And so in every election, basically, Florida, Ohio, with this time Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, like a handful of states get the vast majority of the attention of the candidates and essentially decide the election for the entire country. And that's like... <laughs> I mean, so like you talk about all that, you're like, it could have been worse. And like, whereas if Congress just like picked a person that they thought would be a good leader for them. And then it's like, Hey, do you want to elect Congress? And you know, or you don't want to elect the democratic party and this is our leader and they're going to actually have to be an MP in their local riding. And I don't know, like, cause like in, in the Canadian system, this, the party can just, uh, unilaterally evict the leader. Yeah. So I believe that we could do a whole separate episode of facts on the differences between presidential and parliamentary systems, but the trade-off that parliamentary systems, to my understanding, make on the strength of executive branch issue is by is to create a actually very strong executive branch, but with a very easy way to remove someone. Yes. Yeah. That, I feel like that's a better, that's a description of what in practice happens in Canada. Yeah. So what we have is a is in practice a weak executive, that, but the one that cannot be gotten rid of for four years without extreme circumstances and cooperation from uh other branches right and the president of the united states has been impeached three times and found innocent all three times so um, was, was nixon ever like was he he they were gonna no, impeach him, but he they haven't actually technically knowing yeah, that, yeah he would have been convicted have been, but probably yeah. but he was not impeached andrew jackson was the first one and i believe right. he he won by one vote hmm. um bill clinton number two and donald trump number three right. so what is the future here that people have been trying to modify this for a very long time basically since the beginning and they actually have modified it as we mentioned several times the 12th amendment being one of them but the current best chance for future uh, amendment because a constitutional amendment is basically impossible in the united states at this point in time the the current best chance is something called the national popular vote interstate compact yes that's one of my favorite interstate compacts it's it's high on any draft of the interstate compact uh, list there's a great video that i'm assuming you've seen made by CGP Grey that we'll link in the show notes. Yes. But essentially what this is to please go watch his video, but I'm going to summarize it. This is an agreement between states that they will eventually pledge their electors to the winner of the national popular vote, which would thus end the power of the electoral college to determine the winner. But it's eventually because it only goes into effect when enough states have joined the compact to have enough electoral college votes that they can control who wins the presidency. Because if they just said, as of now, if you did what like 
the these couple states have done like i think maine you said was one of them yeah. that they split their votes uh right. by the popular vote then that makes that state like less uh cared about by the politicians who are uh going and campaigning and trying yeah, to you get need, them to you vote. need everyone to do this or, or no one yeah so exactly. currently 15 states in dc have joined and together they control 196 votes which is 73 percent of the 270 that they would need so it it's getting there but it's not there and it it doesn't move that quickly but theoretically someday we will transition to a direct vote for president which has its own complexities for one thing the nixon kennedy election was decided by an overall like hundred thousand votes Hmm. which in that situation you have recounts upon recounts upon recounts upon challenges upon challenges but given that we still have that even in our current stupid system i i think it's it's worth changing yeah i mean that's going to happen when you have i mean that's kind of also driven to be more likely when you have a two-party system where we have all the analytics and all of the analysis they can do now to figure out what is the the voter that we should be chasing like this thing of disproportionately okay it's going to be decided on pennsylvania and florida so that's where we put all our attention and that's going to draw and i'm going to ignore the vote people who are going to probably vote for me anyway in these other states or anyway i'm probably going to win as long as i win california by 55 percent or 60 percent then just like ignore it and so you end up with the the close a closer popular vote than you would otherwise if you didn't know where you were going to have to campaign and so you're just trying to appeal to people overall i would think it's yeah that 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 certainly makes some sense. I One of the arguments I've seen in favor of the Electoral College is it, it has produced, at least in recent centuries, I guess at this point, a very <laughs> very stable two-party system in the sense that the we had more parties and, and parties have come and gone, but it's been pretty much the same two for, now their ideologies have dramatically changed, but it's been basically the same two parties for a very, very long time, uh, as opposed to, and given that it's a winner-take-all system, it is inevitable that there are two parties. But you, in in our system at least, but you would have more turmoil and churn if there was if there wasn't the electoral college system. Some people argue, but I'm not even sure that's a bad thing because the current system of two parties in this country is groaning under the weight of the fact that they both parties then have to cover roughly fifty percent or more of the population of the voting population, or they would never win an election. And and trying to do that under one tent becomes increasingly fraught with peril i mean you're trying to combine people who are very 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 far apart on on most political spectrums into one party because that's the only way you have a chance of winning so i think that that also creates the situation in american politics where you do do not get to vote for what you want you get to vote for the lesser of two evils at all times the um is there are there many people who argue that like a two-party system and like a two-party stability is like better than having maybe potentially a third or fourth party that can yeah. take sub issues yeah. Yeah, yeah because you you because if you look around the world at parliamentary systems which for the fun fact record i prefer it, you do have the possibility of ending up you know some parliamentary systems are pretty stable and some are extremely not stable yeah and, and it really depends on the makeup of the country and i think it's fair to say that a broad coalition based approach in the u.s would at least at this point in time seems like it would be pretty complicated given the incredible divisions in the society because my i don't have a good sense of parliamentary systems that are unstable and what drives that and so i don't want to overly like generalize from 
the experience in Canada and low, more locally in British Columbia to mean like, oh, this system is lending itself to stability. Like it can obviously the population and the the people maybe make more difference than the system. But the I think Italy had 15 governments one year. Sure. Not great. <laughs> I would I would guess there are probably some other contributing factors than just about the fact that it was parliamentary. But and Israel had three elections in the last year. Yeah, too Four. many. Um, yeah. But the my sense is that having the two parties and them being stable in particular over a long period of time has been a big and this I doubt you disagree with this, but has been a big contributing factor to the polarization that you're talking about, like having people who identify from birth to death with a particular party, not necessarily because of their views that they have now or did have or will have, but because, well, I'm just a Democrat and that's who I am. And I am that's, you know, like that, that idea, I think, tends to like, that's only really uh, that's much more feasible in a two party system. Whereas if you have three parties and sometimes a party comes and goes like my, you know, you don't get to pick a system, but like, if you could just pick like, Oh, uh, what system are, are we going to have? And I can get to determine the final results. It seems like uh, roughly three parties seems to have a good balance of like, it lets the, the times come and go and power can wax and wane in different parties, you know, depending on how well each party is doing and if they have good leadership and they have good policies without having the 20 parties chaos trying to do a, a 10, elections a year and some of the other problems but of course we don't get to design design the outcome <laughs> we only get to design a system and even changing the system is almost possible so it's easy to fantasize about almost impossible yeah i mean there are there are a variety of potential solutions the 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 sort of sports team style election politics that has come to dominate in the united states which was the reason why originally the framers of the constitution did not want political parties to exist is definitely not ideal and to your point has become so polarized at this point in time that it's essentially you know deadlocked the government in a lot of ways both parties are planning for total domination and blocking any attempt to do anything if they're not while they're not achieving it and it's become almost like theater so i I do think that something would be good to change there are a variety of suggestions as i said one idea is to do a a non-winner takes all voting system which would definitely have really interesting impact uh i I also like the idea of proportional representation as opposed to our current i mean you know the current winner takes all basically makes it impossible for more parties to spring yeah when that's a system in the states when you have a president and they determine the executive branch it's very difficult to have three parties in that or it's like a lot harder to incentivize three parties but when you have congress it would be a lot more straightforward because you don't necessarily have to like you don't have to change the system that much in order to have a proportional congress where it's like you know 40 percent one party 30 percent one party 20 percent one party yeah yeah or even more you know the four green candidate you know green party members or whatever whatever yeah know. so i think it's time we need to do a little bit of large cat follow-up to close yeah yeah so I had a fact last month that was about black panthers. Now, yeah. they're not a distinct species, but rather black melanistic variants of leopards and jaguars. But regrettably, I got diverted into the totally unsupported, not true claim that all panthers are black, which is not what I was trying to talk about. I was trying to talk about, hey, did you know that black panther is not actually a species and it's actually multiple species, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what we ended up talking about. We ended up arguing about are all panthers black? And to your credit, 
Arik, <laughs> you you push back on that. And you're like, I don't know, this doesn't seem true. But no, I was like, I don't know why I think this, but I'm just going to keep talking because I'm just a privileged white guy and I can just make claims on a podcast and that's what we do. Um, and so oh. <laughs> oh, I'm here to correct the, fa- the fact which multiple people pointed out. I think Clarko like texted within like an hour of, yeah. <laughs> of the podcast going live, but we've got various other people. Thank you. Uh, always thank you, thank you uh, friend of like the show, being corrected Clarko. and uh, put in our place when we are out of line and spreading disinformation. Uh, well, many people mean <laughs> the Black Panther when they say the word Panther. People do use the word Panther to refer to other things. Sometimes they use it to mean members of the genus Panthera, like tigers. Not many people say Panther when they mean tiger, but it's like it's been known to be referred to that way, uh, especially yeah. non black jaguars and leopards are sometimes called Panthers, and especially. The Florida panther, which is the regional term for cougar or catamount in Florida, yeah. they call it the Florida panther, which is immortalized in the distinctively not black logo of the NHL's Florida Panthers. Indeed. Although I will say that I think the black panther is my favorite panther. Yeah. I mean, we can all agree it's the best panther. I- <laughs> I think we all, meaning you and me, the entire show and everybody who listens to it can all I think agree. You and I can a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent of the hosts of this the podcast, a hundred percent of the entire planet. If you have a different opinion out there in fun factors nation, that's fine. No, it's not. You have to. Agree. <laughs> if you want to listen to the show, you have to agree to our end user license agreement. We don't have we don't have panther related litmus tests on this program. Well, well we do now. I got to get that <laughs> terms of service up in the website. <laughs> I don't know the, the, the Florida agree. Panthers logo is pretty good, I have to say. To subscribe, it is a pretty good logo. Yeah. But as far as hockey team, I mean it's no Seattle Kraken, of course, but <laughs> it is. But it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Logo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I I would like to say that I appreciate your uh contrition in this matter even as you continue to spread uh unsubstantiated disinformation about what the correct <laughs> that's right <laughs> the best type of panther is that's right all panthers are 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 good panthers they're all they're all the best but i do prefer black panthers of all the panthers personally and i believe you do as well my co-host alan they're good panthers brent they're good yeah, they're good panthers, right? <laughs>